Welcome in, everybody. This is the Bears Banter Podcast. Bill Zimmerman with you here. And starting things off on a little bit more of a mellow note. Uh, Didn't really think screaming, that's right, Bear Down Bears fans, was appropriate for this particular podcast. Uh, We are going to be joined by Sam Acho, former Chicago Bear linebacker, here in just a few minutes. Uh, we're going to talk, we're not going to talk football with Sam Acho. We're going to talk a, about, a lot about race in this country, racism, systemic racism, issues facing the NFL right now, and a lot of the good he and his brother are doing right now, having conversations and really trying to talk about what is happening in America right now. And I think that's a really important conversation to have both for the black community, the white community, for all communities to really open up a dialogue and have an honest conversation. And I really didn't think this was a conversation that I could do myself. I wanted to have someone on who really addresses these issues head on and does a lot for the communities that he's involved in, whether that be Chicago or with some of the other teams he's been in throughout his NFL career. Didn't think this was going to be a time to talk about Matt Nagy ending virtual OTAs early and talk about, you know, some of the things that were said in some of the press conferences. I really think all that is a a backseat item right now. We've got a bigger issue to address. It's one that I hope you will all continue to listen to this podcast. I'm sure some of you hear me saying these things and what I want to do with this particular episode of this podcast and say to yourselves, I don't want to hear about this. This is all I'm seeing on TV. This is all I'm seeing on social media. I don't need a Bears podcast to be addressing it as well. But we're going to do it with a a, a Bears player and a prominent one in terms of community activism and everything he's done. With that said, I'm going to take a break. I know I've only been on here for a few minutes, but like I said, I don't want this conversation to be just me. I don't want to sit here and try and, and lecture you or, or talk about, you know, like I do about whether it's Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky or whether Robert Quinn was a good signing or who's going to start opposite Kyle Fuller. It's not a time for that. There's going to be plenty of time for that. And that's what this podcast is, of course, all about. So that's what this podcast will focus on. But not today. Today is going to be a different conversation. And if you are in the camp of the I've heard enough of this, I don't want to hear more about this. I urge you. I urge you to try and sit down and listen anyway, listen to Sam, listen to this conversation, be a part of it, and hopefully we can all come together and we can really start meaningful change. Because the protests and, and what's happening right now is a result of what has been happening, not just since George Floyd, but over years and years and years. And it is, it's reached a point, and it is time to really address this head-on. So when we come back, we will be joined by Sam Acho, Bill Zimmerman here, Bears Banter, back in a minute. All right, welcome back into the podcast. And as promised, here is our guest, former Chicago Bear linebacker, a current NFL free agent. Hopefully he'll be on an NFL field this fall. You can follow him at Twitter at the Sam Acho and he is Sam Acho and he joins us now. Sam, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? Bill, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. Really appreciate, honestly, your, the conversations and what you've had, what you've been doing here the last couple of weeks and even more so going back years with the community programs you've done with the Bears and everything. 
I think it's really great. But I do want to ask you here, with George Floyd's death, what was your initial reaction when you saw that video, uh, the response the country has had? And, and I honestly feel like this incident has, has kind of become the tipping point of this conversation. And, and I'm curious if you agree with that and why you think that is. My initial response was I, I couldn't watch, I couldn't finish watching the video. Uh, personally, we, we were watching Homicide uh, nationally and we weren't, I don't think we were created to watch that. And so I couldn't finish watching it, but it kept on popping up over and over again. And so I think I went back to it again just to see and, and it was appalling. It was appalling. I was appalled. I was disgusted. I was frustrated. I was sad. I was bruised. Um, my emotions ran the gambit and I did not know what to do with a lot of those emotions. Just two weeks prior, uh, the world lost Ahmaud Arbery, not to police brutality, not to police violence, but to uh, two, uh, you can only assume, uh, racist white men who uh, didn't like this black guy in their neighborhood. And so that was already heavy on my heart. And then a few weeks later, you see not only George Floyd, but also the Amy Cooper uh, Central Park situation mm-hmm. where uh, she, sees the, she sees an African-American man in, in Central Park and the, the male, the man asked her to put her dog on her leash because it was illegal. She was breaking the law, right? She was breaking the law. It was illegal to have your dog off the leash in, in, in that part of New York. And she was upset. And she said, if uh, she said, I'm going to call the police and let them know that an African-American man is here threatening my life. And that was caught on national for the, for the world to see. As you mentioned, Bill, this seems like it is the tipping point that helped uncover a lot of the, America's often untold history. Yeah, and, and, and I want to kind of talk about where America goes from here, but let's first focus on the NFL. And let, let me start with the piece you wrote for the Players' Tribune, Upstairs versus Downstairs, which I thought was, was really eye-opening and, and kind of pair that with, with someone you know well in, in Vic Fangio and some of the comments he, had, he made about how he's never seen racism in the NFL. He has since apologized, but I think there's a pervasive thought in a lot of people's mindsets like that, if, if you want to you know, say it's, it's ignorance or whatever. But you talked about the Rooney Rule and the failures of the Rooney Rule and how there's a difference between upstairs where the coaches and execs are and downstairs where the players are. How much in your experience in NFL locker rooms over the years was there a disconnect between upstairs and downstairs? Yeah, well, there, that disconnect continues. We all saw it when we watched the NFL draft because of this worldwide pandemic. Everyone was at home and everyone watched the draft and they allowed more cameras into more people's houses. And, and we saw that disconnect. We saw upstairs versus downstairs. We saw the coaches and the general managers who were predominantly white, 29, 28 out of 32 head coaches are white, three are black, one is Hispanic. And then we saw the general managers I believe 30 out of 32 general managers are white, two African-American general managers in the NFL. And then you saw players getting drafted who are predominantly black. 70, over 70% of the NFL is black. And so it was just this stark contrast to, oh, wow, the people who make decisions or people who are running the NFL, not only the owners, you didn't see the owners. And it was just a, 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 sharp, a sharp contrast that I've been seeing in my entire nine-year career in the NFL. Yeah, and, and, and you, you kind of talked about after you had an appearance on, on ESPN and that you, you got calls from executives, from, from positional coaches, all these different people saying, you know, I, I feel this, this, this issue and, and, and it's something that needs to come out. 
And, and while I think a lot of people recognize the Rooney rule has not really worked as there's the same number of, of black head coaches when it was instituted as there are today, we, we've seen things, you know, the NFL was talking about, you know, you know, encouraging better draft picks if, if, if there's a minority hire. And, and, and we've, we've seen all these, these ideas, but when, when there are qualified individuals, qualified black individuals to be coaches and head coaches, and, and they're not getting the opportunities, I, I'd much rather see them get the opportunities than just force teams to, to be required to do this. And you kind of talked about it. A kind of setting out a plan in your Players' Tribune piece about diversity training for owners and having a, a symposium for minority candidates, creating a pipeline. I, I think those were a lot of good ideas. And, and for those who haven't read the, the, the piece, if you could expand on that, about what the NFL can do to be leaders in this situation rather than trailing. So I think the, 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 the rule has been, for the most part, a failure. What we saw in 2003 was the implementation of a Rooney rule, rule in which a uh, rule that was stated that teams were required to interview at least one minority candidate. Uh, this rule was put in place in order to increase diversity in the NFL. The first black coach in the NFL was a guy named Fritz Paul. Most, most people don't know this. He coached in 1921. He continued to coach until 1925. For whatever reason, uh, there was not another African-American coach until uh, 1989, so 64 years later. And so, and at that point from 1989, the 1990 season until 2002, there were no more than three African-American head coaches. And this was a problem. And so the Rooney rule was implemented. And, and in, in 2003, there were three black head coaches. And in 20, 2020, there are three black head coaches. And so I think when the same people who have who had the idea of incentivizing with draft picks, if they hire a black head coach or a black general manager, or, and I think most black people and black head coaches and black general managers, 30 out of those 31 owners are white and so they need to be trained in what it, what implicit bias is and what un, and what un, unconscious bias is and how these biases affect thousands and thousands of people um, so that, that needs to happen what else what, what also needs to happen is there needs to be a symposium which this actually used to happen before a, a minority symposium where potential head coaches and potential general managers got a chance to go to the owners meeting and just just sit with the owners and and hear from them what they look for in a candidate. If the owners are really serious about solving this problem, these are two simple fixes that can happen. Another change that needs to happen is quality control positions need to be, um, man it needs to be mandated that two out of the four quality control coaches on each NFL roster are minority candidates. Most people know that quality control coaches are the hard, quality, quality control positions are the hardest to get. And so people, owners many times talk about a lack of qualified candidates. We'll give candidates an opportunity and you'll see that they're there. Before we, we get off the NFL, I, I, I just want to ask you about Roger Goodell's statement, you know, a big change from, from the commissioner of the NFL, from where they were a couple years ago when, when Colin Kaepernick and the kneeling protest was, was very prevalent in the conversation. And what was your thought on Goodell's statement? And a two-part question we keep hearing about how the Colin Kaepernick protest is disrespecting the flag when the protest isn't about the flag at all. How do we as a country make sure the focal point of that protest is exactly where it needs to be and not an argument about something that it has nothing to do with in the first place? I think we just need to understand what justice is and what it means to love your neighbor, what it means to care for people who don't look like you. I think when people start picking sides, whether it's Democratic or Republican or, you know, different socioeconomic classes, that's when we run into issues. When we start saying, hey, this guy doesn't look like me 
and I still love him and I, I'm for him, I'm going to fight for him, that's when you'll see justice prevail. Now, l- l- let me ask you this, because I think there's a difference, and sometimes I think they get lumped together about hate versus ignorance. And I think a lot of times people, and I'll, I'll say people in the white community are ignorant to what's going on. They, they have no idea whether they're putting their head in the sand intentionally or they're just, they just don't know about it versus hate. And when I say hate, I don't know if you saw uh, Brittany Payton, daughter of the late yeah. Walter Payton, posted an, an awful experience she had last week on social media where if people hadn't heard, she was literally in, in line uh, in a drive-through for a pharmacy and an individual chose to go up to her window and flash a watermelon in her face and make monkey noises. And that, to me, that, I mean, th- those kind of people are, are, are repugnant and disgusting. I don't know if there's any way to reach those people, but I do think you can reach ignorance. W- would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I think that there are certain people who are hateful and, and, and racist and believe that white people are the, the only, you know, they're, they're more clean than, 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 than other races, which is foolish and ignorant. Um, you know, but the other side, there's another group, group of people that, that because these injustices haven't affected them, like what you see with Brittany Payne and what you see uh, is commonplace for a majority of African-Americans, it hasn't affected them, so they don't care. And I think that's a problem. If it affects your, your neighbor, it should be your problem. If it affects somebody who, and neighbor is probably not the right word because a lot of people live in bubbles. Chicago is the most segregated city in the United States. And so uh, most people, we don't, we don't get a chance to see our neighbors. We don't, we don't step outside of our bubbles. And so I think we just need to care about, as Jesus puts it, the least of these, the people who are forgotten about, the people who are, who society is essentially thrown away. And I think once you start caring about them, you'll start seeing a major change. Let, let me ask you uh, kind of about that and, and kind of tie in your community work. Cause I know you had a, uh, a community event last week, Mitch Trubisky was there, Alan Robinson, a lot of other Chicago athletes, where you just kind of went out in the community and wanted to have a, a conversation. I, I believe you said something in, in, in an article that this isn't white versus black, it's everyone versus racism, and that you just want people to listen. Where, where do we start you know, again, these are impossible questions sometimes to say, but where do we start in terms of the, the listening campaign? Where, what can people do in terms of like that community event where, where you're just having conversations and instead of pretending these issues don't exist to actually address them? Yeah, I think the first, the first step, um, I think for our society is you need to, people need to educate themselves. You need to understand that the history that you were taught in school isn't, the complete story of American history, right? You need to, people need to understand why people specifically need to un, need to go back and educate themselves on American history through an African American lens. I went to an all uh, essentially a, a predominantly white private school in Dallas, Texas, the number one rated school in the nation, and I learned very little about African American history. Yes, I learned about Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, but that was about where it stopped. And so, uh, first of all, people need to educate themselves and understand that you may not have been taught the full history of this country. Uh, it may be a little bit skewed. Number two, people need to empathize. We talked about it earlier, you talked about that ignorance. Well, I didn't know, I didn't know. Well, now you know. You, you saw George Floyd, um, you saw Ahmaud Arbery, you saw, uh, maybe you saw uh, the Amy Cooper situation. Now you know, now it's time to educate yourself and empathize with, uh, with African-Americans who've been de- dealing with um, ra- systemic racism and systemic oppression for a long, long time, empathize. And then lastly, I think people can advocate. They can 
go into different communities and learn. They can go and support organizations that are doing good work. Uh, I think about people who, who ask, well, I don't know what, what to do and what do you recommend I do? Man, I would say if George Floyd were your brother or your, sister, or your, brother, or your father or your son uh, and you saw something like this happen, what wouldn't you do to, to see the whole system change? And so I would just say um, it's got to be that empathy piece. Yeah, you, you talked about systemic racism, and, and I want to ask you a couple questions here and, and, and kind of finish the interview here. Is, you know, your brother, like you, has had a lot of, you know, conversation and is really trying to really open up and, and really address these issues. And, you know, if you, you see him on Twitter, he has uh, uncomfortable conversations with a black man. He did the first one himself, the second one with Matthew McConaughey. And in the first one, he, he, he talked about, about systemic racism. He said it's, it's like, being in a race, but starting 200 meters behind everyone else. So, and, and I hear, you know, I, Dr. Harry Edwards, I produce a serious XM show, Dr. Harry Edwards was on, and he talked about how this is really an issue that the white community has to really start realizing is an issue and not just sit there. And for, for me personally, for years, I looked at a lot of times, you know, I, I see these things on social media and I shake my head and sit there and go, how, how can these be happening? But sitting there, you know, I, I always make sure I vote in things, but, you know, you sit there and say, well, what, what else can be done? So I, I, I'll ask you about, in terms of systemic racism, for the people who don't understand what systemic racism means, who sit there and go, I hear this, I hear this statement about systemic racism. Can you, can you explain to people who may not truly understand systemic racism what it is in this country? So when... Chicago started, people started moving to Chicago. I'll use that as an example. Um, more and more people started to see, man, where do I want to live and what areas are desirable? Well, what happened was there's something called redlining, which the areas that the African-Americans were living were essentially marked off. They were marked off and seen as not desirable areas to live. Why? Not because of the agriculture of the land, but because that's where black people live. And so so those areas got less funding, worse schools, the, 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 there was no investment. Um, uh, so that was a problem, right? That's a system that was put in place that no one, uh, African-Americans didn't have anything to do with. They didn't, they didn't put that system in place. Uh, certain white people who were ignorant to it didn't put the system in place, right? But there are certain people who wanted power, white people who wanted power to put these systems in place to uh, keep their, keep, stay in a position of power um, as, as, as one example. Um, so I just think about issues, examples like that where, wow, I didn't even realize what it, I didn't know what redlining was. I didn't know what Jim Crow laws were, laws that, yes, even though slavery had ended, these laws essentially kept African-Americans enslaved. I didn't know. I didn't know about the 1921. Uh, people call them the race riots when in all reality, it wasn't a race riot. In 1921, an area, area in Tulsa, Oklahoma was burned down. It was called Black Wall Street. It was a place where African-Americans, black people were thriving and living and doing great. And white people didn't like it. They couldn't stand it. So they went, they burned down the entire community, blocks and blocks and blocks. I, I, oh, I never knew about that, right? And so it's like, I'm, you, know, my, you, know, you talk about this, this race where you're so far behind. It's like 400 years ago, African black people, Africans, <laughs> were brought to America and helped to help build America, right? You build, you build, you build for who? For, for people who are white, right? And then fast forward now, and finally in 19, you know, Martin Luther King in 1969, right? 1968, you have him saying, hey, let's be free. Let's be free. And then 50 years past that, we're still saying, let's be free, let's be free, let's be free. Let's get an opportunity to try and compete 
But now it's like, okay, you can compete. We've been holding you back for so many years. Those are systems that have been put in place that just haven't been helpful for, for equality in America. And I don't think a lot of people, you know, you, you think about you think about something like the Civil War, you know, how that was that was so long ago. But when you look at kind of the grand scheme, people's grandparents, their grandparents were, were alive during the Civil War. People's parents and grandparents, people themselves were alive for Jim Crow laws and, and the civil rights movement in, in the 1960s. These issues, they're not buried in the past. And I think I think the first thing people really need to start realizing is that as a society, and we, we continue to try and progress towards, you know, equality and, and get as close to equality as we can, but we, you know, we can't just sit there and say, well, the civil war was 150 years ago. Like I said, my grandparents' parents were alive during the civil war. It's not that many generations ago when you look, think about that the country, people started coming over here from Europe in 1492. The Jim Crow laws in the 1960s were a blink of an eye. I mean, the Beatles were around and, and, and Elvis was, was, I mean, this, these are things that we, we reference like they're so long ago, but like we'll acknowledge like the music of that era as, as, as almost it's classic rock, but it's still current in, in, in some people's minds. I, I think we, we also have to realize truly how, how we need to evolve because it's, it's a current issue. This isn't something that happened a long time ago and now we're just kind of looking at at these issues issues now, it, it, it's a progression from slavery, from Civil War era, from Jim Crow laws, and we need to continue evolving from that instead of considering it, those were in the past and this is now. 100%, I couldn't agree more. The, the, the last thing I, I wanna kind of talk to you about is, is implicit bias. And, and I think that's something that everyone needs to recognize, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're, you're Hispanic, I, I think it's something we all have and whether, whether you don't want to have it or not, it's something that I think everyone needs to address internally in themselves, especially the white community, when, when we're talking about how the white community, how much impact the white community can have in terms of affecting change with systemic racism, educational issues, voter suppression, all, all these things. How important do you think it is for people to recognize something like implicit bias in themselves before they can kind of really listen and, and further the conversation. Yeah, well, studies have been shown, studies have been done as recently as a few years ago, 2016 and 17, uh, probably even more recent, that have shown that when it comes to implicit bias, uh, people with African-American sounding names, people with black sounding names, are less likely to get a callback for a job with white sounding names when, they, when given the exact same resume exact same resume but if you have a a black sounding name you're you you have a very you have a you're half as likely to get a callback as if you have a white sounding name and so that right there tells you that implicit bias does exist i did an internship at target 10 years ago while in college a store executive internship and uh, I, I remember going on you know the, some of the back rooms with the, the stores uh security lead and asking him hey what do you look for in a thief because we got all the cameras and what do you got, and who's the most common thief and most people think it's the black guy who walks in in the black shirt and the whole deal. And he said, honestly, the, the most common thief at, at Target is a 35-year-old white woman. You never think that, right? You never think that. And so there are these biases that exist that keep you stuck in an uh, antiquated mindset. And I believe that the more that you go to communities and spend time with people who don't look like you and spend time with people who don't think like you, who don't act like you, the more you'll be able to break some of these biases 
and admit that they exist and work towards changing them. For, for people who, who really want to see meaningful change moving forward, the first step, would you say, is that truly listening to others? Yeah, I'll say to educate yourself. Step one is to educate yourself. There's a couple of good books. One's by uh, Benjamin Watson, he, NFL, NFL player, wrote a book called Under Our Skin. Talks about what it's like to be an African-American. There's a couple other good books. Jesus and the Disinherited is one. Divided by Faith is another. Um, there's so many great books you can read and educate yourself about, about American history through an African-American lens. You can uh, just find ways to educate, number one. Number two is to empathize, right? That's where the listening comes in. Right, so you as your as your edu and education could come from stories, could come from social media. Uh, follow some people who are talking about some of this stuff on social media. Right, listen, educate, empathize, and then advocate. Go and speak up on behalf of of people who are being oppressed. All right, well there he is uh, again. You can follow him at Twitter at the Sam Acho. Sam, always loved watching you in a Bears uniform, and I'm hoping you're you're on an NFL field this fall. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Bill, and I appreciate you. Like I said, like anybody who wants to get involved, we're uh, in the community. Uh, I, I'm telling you, like change is going to happen. Change will happen. And, and uh, I mean, even I actually wrote about this. I got a book coming out in the fall. Uh, it's called Let the World See You, How to Be Real in a World Full of Faith. In that book, I got a chance to, to do some of these experiences. I went to a prison, the largest maximum security prison, with uh, the chairman of the Chicago Bears, a guy named you know, George McCaskey. I, uh, we got a chance to, to just – go and spend time with people and experience things that are different than what you would you'd expect and as you come continue to come out of your shell you'll see that the world is waiting for you to to, to be the solution to the problems well said sam thank you thanks there he is sam acho former chicago bear uh really really good guy and i i really appreciated him taking the time to have that conversation with me and and you know he he said it right there at the end of the interview i mean what 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 can we do to really change and really kind of start making an impact uh, on this this issue facing America, facing facing the world really, but but you know focusing on America here and education and listening and and being empathetic. I think that's a great place to start for all of us to really make our society a better place for all people, and that's that's the key is, is in, and and i think that sometimes the conversation and the the point is lost because for whatever the reason there are people who want to blur the message they want to the moving target so to speak they want to sit there and say that the protest the kneel is not about police brutality and about equality it's about the flag and disrespecting the flag. And again, we see people say to Black Lives Matter, you can't say that all lives matter. And, and, and we understand that all lives matter. And the, the issue I have with that is when people are offended by Black Lives Matter, by that comment, where in that comment does it say, Black lives are more important than white lives. Black lives are more important than Hispanic lives. White lives doesn't matter, don't matter. Uh, the police don't matter. None of that is said in that statement. People are inferring. They're inferring what they want to hear in that so they can be against that comment, that phrase, the motto, the movement. That is not what's being said. What's being said is black lives matter. And if you don't feel that black lives matter, you need to look 
at yourself. You need to look in the mirror and look at yourself and go, why do I think black lives don't matter? Because yes, all lives matter. But in this particular case, we're not talking about all lives, we're talking about black lives. So is it uncomfortable for people to say that black lives matter, whether that be because of their own racism, their own implicit bias, whatever it might be. That's where people really need to look in the mirror. And all people are guilty of it in some way. Like I said, there is implicit bias. And you hear Sam say people getting the opportunity in interviews based on resumes that the white sounding name will get more opportunities than the black sounding name. And that's something that we all need to address. We all need to be better to be a, a welcoming community, a welcoming society. We, we can't continue down these roads of systemic racism. We can't sit there and say, well, black people have the right to vote, but in historically black communities, the line to vote is three hours long, while the line to vote in my community, which is a largely a white community, I'm in and out in 20 minutes. It's not a big deal. It's easy for me to go in and vote. But in these other areas, it's three hours in line to vote. Why is that? How can we how can we fix voter suppression? How can we fix educational inequality where the opportunities of the education in the traditionally white suburbs are far better than where they are in the traditional black communities? There are things that the entire country from the federal government down to the individuals just walking down the street and hopping on subways and all of us, all of us can be better. And I hope that everyone took some time to listen to this interview. I hope you think I did a good job with this interview. This is not something I do on a regular basis. I talk football. I sit here and talk about the, the defensive personnel on the Chicago Bears. I don't try and address these type of issues. This is not something I traditionally do, but I wanted to get outside my comfort zone and try to have a conversation and help contribute to the conversation, to the communication, to just listening to other people and what they have to say, people that aren't like me, whether it be their personalities or whether it be how they look. I think we all need to be better in that regard. And I just hope that this podcast, if it just helped one person sit there and say, maybe I do need to listen more to other people. Maybe I do need to educate myself more yeah, on, on these issues. Then, I, 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 then I'm glad I did this and I'm glad I make an impact. And for the rest of you that are annoyed that I sat here and talked about social injustice rather than the Chicago Bears secondary, we'll get to that again eventually. But like I said, I don't want to sit there and apologize for taking a break from the normal content of this podcast because I don't feel I need to. I feel that this was important. But I hope you took time, stuck with this podcast, and listened anyway because that's what's important. We need to listen. We need to have the conversations, whether it makes you uncomfortable or not. If it makes you uncomfortable, that's a good thing. That means you're outside your comfort zone and you're learning and you're bettering yourself because that's never easy to recognize those type of things within yourself. So that's going to do it for Bears Banter. We will return during this offseason here. The Bears have wind down OTAs, so there's not going to be a lot of Chicago Bears news between now and training camp, but we will hit you up with a couple more podcasts for sure before then. 
Hopefully it's going to be more on some football content. But if this conversation needs to continue, I will continue to have it on this podcast. Bear down, everybody. We will talk to you soon. Adios.